recording in progress. I, I don't know how much I'm going to consult my notes. By all means, I'll, I'll happily sit here silent while you do that. Hello, this is Max and Jason watch a movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And before we get into the movie tonight, I have a little housekeeping that we have to do. I, apparently, I've made uh, quite an error in the Misery podcast. Don't, 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 don't. A listener, uh, a very near and dear listener, my daughter actually texted me and said, Sheriff Buster wasn't in the novel. And so I uh, thought he was. Uh, I totally had, I haven't read the novel in a while and uh, I was mistaken. Now Lord Books is going to be mad at me as well as Lord Movies. So listeners, a lot of you probably caught it, but uh, yeah, Sheriff Buster wasn't in the novel. Neither was his wife. Most of the novel is just uh, Paul Sheldon and, and Annie with some flashbacks in the typewriter too, I guess. Don't, don't, don't. Otherwise, my daughter thought the podcast was really good. So hopefully you did too, listeners. Jason, do you have any comments? I'm sure you want to jump on board this 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 embarrassment wagon that I'm on here. Well, I, I, I've had enough of my own, so I'll, I'll try to recover from this <laughs> and introduce what we're going to review this evening. And I guess consolation for you is that you're eating crow and you're feeling some embarrassment, but your embarrassment is nothing like the people who made G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, released in 2009, directed by Stephen Summers, starring Channing Tatum, Marlon Wayans, Adewale, Ekinoye Baje, I, I hope I said that right, uh, Dennis Quaid, Rachel Nichols, Saeed Tagmoy, Ray Park, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Christopher Eccleston, Sienna Miller, Byung Hun Lee, and the incomparable Jonathan Price. Now, I'm looking at the IMDb cast list, and Carolina Kirkova gets billed as CoverGirl, which I don't know why she's barely in the movie at all there's several people that are barely in the movie and and for good reason and, and actually they should be grateful for that <laughs> that's right that's right why is this movie getting made jason why did somebody think we need to have a gi joe movie I'm, I'm kind of leading jason here with the question uh and i think the answer lies in a spectacular toy line in the 1980s it does it does and um and, and uh, you know and i'm sure we're going to get into the history of gi joe it's far more interesting than what we're going to talk about after. The reason that this film, that people felt this film needed to be made, G.I. Joe, as Max was implying, uh, was a toy created by Hasbro in the 80s as kind of a response to the success of uh, Mattel's He-Man and before that, uh, Kenner's uh, Star Wars series. There was uh, very much in the early 80s, there was this appetite for uh, toy lines that had a backstory. And Hasbro really struck gold and, and kind of created two lines. Originally, they created G.I. Joe, which uh, Marvel Comics uh, made a book about. And then after that, Transformers. And probably the two toy lines that probably dominated the decade, even more than He-Man, uh, which would probably be, I think, probably come in at number three. I might be wrong about that. I've, you know, I'm not, I'm not aware of the sales numbers. Yep. But in the uh, decade, the first decade of this century uh, in the 2000s, there was definitely an appetite by Hasbro bro to see these franchises made into big budget films. Transformers had been made into a very successful film series. Yes. An initial film that is is good. Yeah. Very watchable, very entertaining. There was this idea that they needed to take G.I. Joe and do the same thing. Yes. And I don't know. I, I almost would suggest that G.I. 
G.I. Joe was more popular than Transformers. I think so. There were certainly, the, the figures were certainly more playable than yes. Transformers toys. Jason and I have for years sort of complained about Transformers toys because they look cool, but you would spend most of the playtime that you had changing them back and forth from, so you would have some Transformers and then you would have a little battle and then you would transform them all. That would take a half hour to 45 minutes. And then you would fly them and roll them to the next location and then spend another 45 minutes changing them back into robots and then your friends probably had to leave yeah uh, whereas gi joe figures were three and three quarters uh, three and uh i think three and three quarters inch figures they were already they're very playable very durable and uh very cool and individual even that first line even that first line of toys which uh had i can't remember all of them snake eyes was on there lady j duke a breaker lady j was not in the first line. not lady j scarlet i meant to say scarlet yeah i could probably name the first line for you i i, I probably have that memorized let's 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 see if you can do it all right hawk grunt snake eyes scarlet stalker breaker short fuse flash grand slam rock and roll uh i've got 10 i i i've only i'm only missing a couple i'm pretty sure dealer the tank commander clutch that might be it i think that's it actually i think that's it yeah that that those were the original joes that was the original line uh crafted by hasbro and when marvel comics was commissioned to do a story for these characters um probably the first almost 10 issues no i think solidly the first 10 issues it was just those those joes yeah. when they got contracted to do it zap they, i forgot zap sorry zap, zap so when they got contracted to do it larry hama larry hama volunteered to write the comic book and he did a lot of the breakdowns too i found it later on which is the the first pass on the art i didn't realize larry hama was such a good artist but i've since in preparing for this podcast i got to experience a lot of really good joe content prior to the films that we're about to review but he to keep track of the characters he started writing up these little bios for each of the characters and somebody at hasbro hasbro comes by and they said oh my god that's really that's really cool we should put those on the with the packages so that's how those bio cards ended up on the the packages just it was larry hama's notes which and i have to say because um um i, I like you i was an early fan of the figures and to buy those packages in 1982 and to have these files with these backstories was really something uh really cool something that could really kind of grab your imagination yes it's coming from the star wars generation where we were all used to these backstories and 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 and, and characters that was really a treat to see absolutely and and that was certainly something that all of the uh the toy companies realized pretty quickly that the reason why kenner's toys were so successful is because these characters had people had an idea of how to play with these these toy lines and when they were introducing new toy lines they were like well it'd be nice to tell people kind of give people an idea what the toy line's about how should you play with them you know and that had been a problem for some of the action toy lines prior to the 80s um and prior to the star wars era there were a couple of interesting points and, and some of you guys have probably seen the toys that made us show on Netflix. And if not, obviously you should, I'm going to recommend that right now, but one of the figures they decided to cut costs on one of the figures. And so they didn't dye the plastic. They didn't add any paint to it. They just sent it out all black. And that is how 
the most iconic figure and, and the most one of the more iconic characters of the toy line and the, and the cartoon and the movies was born snake eyes this is how snake eyes was created so they didn't have to do any dyeing on the plastic they just didn't add any color to him and he went out just as kind of a, a, a figure in black probably the most mysterious figure in the set but uh hopefully what you're seeing is that the audience that these characters can in theory be quite interesting <laughs> so the toy line was quite successful it had an incredibly successful marvel comic book and then it also had a, a companion cartoon which a, a lot of people who were fans of the toys watched as well we all i think we all complained about the cartoon as much as we i mean we all watched it too it's sort of like michael jackson fans you know everybody pretends that they didn't like michael jackson back in the 80s but everybody listened to him you know right and it was sort of that way with the gi joe cartoon i watched it after school every day oh i i watched it religiously now as a child i did not like it as well as the comic but i oh, really no, no did i yeah i mean i was so desperate for content that i i gleefully watched it absolutely now uh, uh, any anybody who's uh watched a lot of star wars knows that that stormtroopers are notoriously bad shots in the cartoon gi joe everyone was a notoriously bad shot no one ever got shot maybe maybe their clothes got singed occasionally but no one i don't think anybody ever got shot until well the first season i'm sorry the first mini series there was a mini series uh the mass device do you remember that uh the yes joke? yes and there were some deaths in that they're pretty subtle but yeah but during the during syndication nobody got killed and then and then maybe some people got killed in the the i think 1987's gi joe the movie Ooh, you know i hoped that we would get through this without mentioning that i i, I we have to mention it because uh well not in this not in this episode with the rise of cobra but in the next episode gi joe retaliation i will i will lean heavily not heavily i don't remember in 1987's gi joe the movie that much except for a dreadful battle cry which i'll get to in the next podcast oh yeah all right um i won't even go there in fact i might not even be here for the next one but go ahead <laughs> the podcast this may be the the pair of movies that breaks the podcast audience um Max watches a movie <laughs> Um, and so, what was I going to say? Uh, where was I, Jason? You mentioned GI Joe the movie, which pretty much. Ended oh, the- oh, I was just saying that that nobody got shot in these in these cartoons, but right. But but I think that the GI Joe comic was actually really popular with almost everybody who collected the toys because because when you would talk to people about their favorite Joes, it was it was not really the characters that we saw on the cartoon, which weren't the main characters yes. in the comic book. In the comic book, the main characters were Stalker. Snake Eyes, Scarlet, and Storm Shadow. And there are some others that Jason will probably mention here in a bit, but those that was the core of what would become our good guys. Storm Shadow didn't begin as a good guy, but that would be revealed later. Spoilers. Go fuck yourself, audience, if you don't know this stuff. But, and the bad guys, of course, were Destro, Cobra Commander, uh, Zartan became pretty important, Baroness. Yes. Anything you want to add to this, this comic book lore? J- Jason and I collected the comic book religiously. I mean, this was one of the early comic books that I collected. Yeah, well, I mean, I think people that have followed us to this point we've reviewed the superman films the batman films we've we've dipped our toe into comic book lore enough and and talked about comic books uh enough uh, for people to know that we that we love them that we grew up with them i think that we might have even mentioned the importance of larry hama and his writing on gi joe i i actually to this day i still think that larry hama uh, 
I don't I don't want to say I don't want to put a boundary on it in terms of how long the series the comic series was good in terms of its writing and Larry Hama was there I believe right up to the end but um, I did not read it up until the end and I, that's why I say that but Larry Hama's run on G.I. Joe is my favorite comic writing ever well I, I think and I say that without reservation I want to say almost up to issue 60 it was just really solid at some point the ninja craze that had overtaken Hollywood overtakes the G.I. Joe comic line and then we had like Snake Eyes Ninja Force and it, it got a little crazy at the end one of the other things too that happened yeah. with this with this comic book and the cartoon is Hama had to acquiesce to Hasbro demands they would have a new line of toys that he would have to incorporate into the, the comic book and that were being incorporated into the into the uh, cartoon this was how Hasbro was I mean Hasbro a lot of these companies would use comic books as advertisement they use comic books as advertise cartoons as advertisement and so hama had to when they would have a new line of figures however ridiculous they might be he would have to figure out a way to shoehorn them into the story go ahead jason well no and 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 he was he he was the trooper on this because actually it took a long time in my view it took a long time before the ridiculous character the ridiculous nature of the characters that hasbro was introducing finally affected his storytelling it took a while no it did it did because he was able to he was able to shoehorn some some fairly ridiculous characters into very plausible you know kind of plot structures i felt oh i did too and he turned some of the even even some of the ones that you know were kind of weird or uh that were had kind of cool iconic uh costumes guys like outback i mean he, he turned some interesting people into neat characters i thought you yes know, absolutely that, that who you would look at in the in the figure box and be like well it's gonna be hard to do something with with that guy oh and and and, and i guess you know I mean, before we dive into the film, I guess I kind of want to say this in, in terms of comic book writing, and and people can debate me. That's fine. This is <laughs> this is perspective. This is my experience. Larry Hama, in terms of comic book writing, is Shakespeare to me, and and, and I mean that almost uh, because I mean I I see a lot of kind of Shakespearean dynamics in a lot of his writing. He turned Cobra, which is the traditional GI Joe villain, and he created these these kind of you know Shakespearean you know struggle for power dynamics uh, amongst the leadership of Cobra, you know, this kind of back and forth, Cobra Commander versus Destro, and then Serpenter comes into it. And that's the kind of thing that Shakespeare did, you know, where, you know, Shakespeare, if you read Shakespeare plays, you'll have two acts where, um, you know, the, the King of England will change three times in, in the space of just two or three acts. And Palma was not afraid to do that. He was not afraid to depict all of these motivations of all these characters and to explain explore them and as a child I, I and I know you were as well I mean just I was just riveted to all of that and I will say this and I will say it till the day I die Larry Hama helped me really appreciate literature classic literature oh wow yeah I well Larry Hama actually wrote one of my favorite runs on Wolverine actually uh, he was he did he did that in the late 80s uh, I don't remember exactly when but he was he was instrumental in revealing a, a lot of Wolverine's origin it helped too that Larry Hama when writing G.I. Joe also was a was part of a long-range reconnaissance platoon in Vietnam he uh he was really informed by his experiences of Vietnam and that informed his writing of Joe several of his Joe characters were actually Vietnam veterans um the core I mentioned earlier 
were Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, Stalker, and Scarlet was an intelligence officer. I think some of the others were too, but those those guys met in Vietnam, I believe. Jason yeah. might know more about that, but Larry Hama famously says in the in this uh, in that Netflix Toys That Made Us documentary on the GI Joes, he thought it was a moral travesty that no one died in the cartoon. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, he's he's right. He is right. He is right. Uh, but as a child, that did not affect the cartoon. It, it does now. Uh, in the cartoon, they replaced bullets with lasers. Yep. But, but Hama in the comic was very interested in drama, uh, real drama and yeah, yeah, yeah. real tragedy. And I think that he incorporated that beautifully in kind of a kind of a serial cliffhanger kind of way at a certain point, you know, where each issue kind of kind of draws you into the next one. And it was just such a pleasure to read when I was younger. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I loved it. But what I want to say about all this, uh, Hama, Hama's con- contribution to this is that when we talk about G.I. Joe, we mostly are, I think most fans of our age are talking about those comics and that, yes. and, and his dramatic core. Because the cartoon didn't have a dramatic core. It was mostly Villain of the Week. And for, for the early seasons, it was a lot of Duke. And then in the later seasons, it was a lot of Flint and Lady J. None of the characters that we liked a lot in the, in the comics were big in the uh in the cartoon yes you're quite right yeah so that's important so i think the nostalgia the the readiness for a good gi joe return is people our age who read the comic book a lot i think now i was just listening to kevin smith talk about his approach to the new he-man show that he's doing yes and and he said you know i'm aiming at people like who are my age who watch the show who want to share an updated version with their kids so you know you want to sit down with your son and watch he-man but you want it to be something that they'll enjoy but something a little fresh for you that you'll enjoy too right but that has some of those same notes that you enjoyed so much and i thought that was really spot on you know if 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 gi joe is a nostalgia product right i I think and so like if you're going to make a movie that's leaning onto that nostalgia would you as a director as a filmmaker as a producer would you look at the stuff that really animated fans like maybe i would go to a convention a gi joe convention say which there are some and see what it is that fans really want and i would be willing to bet that what they really wanted doesn't look anything like the movie we're about to talk about I, I agree. And I think that by the end, maybe whether it's at the end of this film or the next one, because folks, we are going to do the sequel as well. Maybe we might have some ideas about how they should do it. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think, I think we'll be able to get into it in both of them, both of them a bit. So I wanted to lay that groundwork because I think that there's a body of stories and a body of source material that they, that they could have really leaned on before going further. Are there any are there any production notes anything you want to say that you did any research for just some uh, I mean I did read that um, uh, Lorenzo de Bonaventura whose production company was very involved in these GI Joe films was very interested in the early 2000s of making a, a military film not a GI Joe film but a military film about nanotechnology okay I think the idea was to produce a film you know this kind of after 9/11 and kind of being very creative about you know some some um, unique terrorist plot that could kind of, you know, sell tickets. Yeah. There was a treatment written, I believe, you know, for a film like that. And then as it morphed along, Bonaventura kind of got involved with Hasbro. 
I want to say that he was involved in the first Transformers films as a producer. Okay. And it was decided to take this this military uh, story and try to, I'll use this term because I think that's what they did, shoehorn it into a G.I. Joe movie. Okay. Kind of capitalize on the legitimate success of the Transformers films that were done in the middle of the decade, in 2009. Yeah. So there was a script done. I believe the original script was done by Michael B. Gordon. And then uh, and then there were some rewrites to turn it into a G.I. Joe movie. I, I, I don't have a lot of details about this, but apparently there were some leaks of the script. There were so many changes to the G.I. I mean, I believe they weren't even going to incorporate Cobra. Okay. It, 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 was, it was going to be barely a G.I. Joe adaptation. Fans were outraged and they brought in uh, Stuart Beatty to do uh, extensive rewrites. They also brought in in Larry Hama as a consultant. And uh, as, we'll, as we will discuss, a lot, a, a great deal of Larry Hama's wonderful writing from, the, from his comic run did make it into this movie. And I think that a lot of our review will be about talking about how well that was done. Yeah. Okay, I, I didn't know I didn't know any of that. What I noticed was that Stephen Summer, Stephen Summers is involved and he's the one that has, he's the director that gave us The Mummy, which was a okay film. It's 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 gone down every in my estimation every time I've watched it. Okay, cuz you know, that's interesting you say that because actually I have not folks, I have not seen The Mummy in 20 years. And when I saw it in the theater, I thought it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. I thought it was fun. I, I loved it, but I've never really watched it since. It was. I thought it was funny. It was action-packed. I've not watched it since. Yeah. So the fact that you say that is pretty impactful to me, because everything else on Stephen Summers' resume does not fill me with confidence. No, no. I think that he kind of lucked into a success with The Mummy, and he's reused some of his cast from The Mummy, and I think a lot of spare effect shots that hadn't fully rendered uh, for this movie. So I suppose we should get into the film a little bit. I don't know how much I actually Actually want to go through a breakdown some of it will we, we often break down the films a little bit as we go on but uh, audience i'm gonna we're gonna be telegraphing the verdict quite a lot here i, I we're not gonna be able to disguise how we feel about this film so this was a very painful viewing experience for me i was actually frustrated for most of the watching of it and for all of the watching of this movie the, the film we're about to review rise of cobra i was frustrated and annoyed sometimes even angry so um um before we go on yeah you had seen it before. Yes. I had not. Um, now, did you see it in the theater? I did see it in the theater, in glorious big screen cinema. What did you think of it then? I didn't like it then. I didn't concentrate on it as much. I was offended by it in the same in the same places, uh, in the same way, but I was watching it with my daughter, and so I had kind of toned down some of my reactions, you know, if I hadn't been with my daughter, who was much younger at the time, you know, uh, and in a, a, a theater that was modestly crowded, you know, I would have vocalized a lot more, Jesus fucking Christ, a lot more. <laughs> And I, there would have been a lot more groaning, audible groaning from me. But I also wasn't paying as close attention to it. You know, uh, sometimes in the theater on the first watching, you're maybe not as critical. But I, I've seen it a couple times since I watched it a couple years ago with my son. And of course, he sort of he, he he sort of enjoyed it, but it wasn't it wasn't his favorite movie ever. And so, but this time watching it really critically, I I was really really the things that annoyed me in the theater sometimes enraged me while I was watching it. Uh, you know, just like why would you do this? I, I asked myself this many times in my notes there sometimes just fuck 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 i was i was channeling paul sheldon when he first sat down at the typewriter
rider in misery. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. So I, I, I have to say, just right as we start here, and you know, I mean, I, I talked about how a bit of the the background production, which is, which is actually, I think, very important because actually, I feel like that the the script of this movie definitely feels like something the shoehorn that I was talking about. Yeah, there was this idea for this plot, and oh my God, we've got to put, we've got to put GI Joe into it. Oh, I guess now we have to put Cobra into it. You know, what's the, what's the, who's the primary thematic character that we want to have? Destro. Why not? Why not? And so, so we begin with a really bad flashback. I, I don't remember from the comic. It might have happened later. We do know in the comic, this is, I mean, this is from the comic, that uh, Destro, who has a metallic face, and he's a weapons manufacturer, and he supplies Cobra Command, which is the terrorist organization in the comic with all of their weapons. And Destro is indeed from Scotland. He is from a family uh, uh, of nobility. So a lot of the backstory, it's not that it's, it's not that it was made up. It's absolutely part of Hama's story, uh, very much so. This movie makes it front and center, at least for now, that this movie is going to be about James McCullen, who is the ancestor of these uh, Scottish weapons makers who during a war in the 17th century were selling weapons to both sides. And uh, as punishment, they took James McCullen's ancestor and they, they made him wear a metal mask and and they they heated the mask and 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 grafted it to his face and that is allegedly the the thematic story foundational flashback story to what we're about to see well jason just said gave you a little more information than the film bothered to give you he mentioned the time period when this scene opens and i rewound it we don't even get a lower third about where the fuck he is in in history or in geography okay I was just like, okay, where the fuck are we? I just want to, you know, like minimal filmmaking. I, I don't remember seeing a lower third saying, you know, France, Scotland, uh, 1609. Yeah, you know? it's, interesting, it's interesting you say that. I was very conscious that because folks, you know, I, I'm a I'm a history guy. That's what my degree was in. And I I was actually, I spent a lot of time trying to, in my mind, get the context, because I, I do this when I watch movies. Yeah. You know, okay, okay, when is this happening? Uh, what was happening politically? Um, how does this fit into what was happening at that time? And I was very conscious that I was working very hard to kind of yeah. figure it out. And I, I never really did. Well, I, I, I suspected that you would have a little more luck with this section just by some of the names that they drop in terrible Scottish accents yes. uh, that, that come and go almost as much as Kevin Costner's accent from Prince of Thieves. The acting in this scene is abysmal from everyone, especially the, the McCullough ancestor. He's terrible. His Scottish accent, when he can be bothered, he'll employ it. I figured since uh, you know Jason uh, majored in history in college, I think, and so I thought maybe you would be able to kind of, oh, I know what about what period. And the, the filmmakers didn't bother to give that to us at all. And I would have liked it. I guess a little bit, not that it would have really added much to this poorly written, poorly conceived, poorly executed scene, but it would have at least given me a place to kind of, like, okay, here's where we're at, as opposed to just castle outside uh, somewhere in Europe. Um, as far as I could grasp, I think it was supposed to be during the uh, religious wars, maybe with the Huguenots in the 17th century. But I was definitely, I was very aware that I was trying 
trying. I was working very hard to get a context. Yeah. But but also as a G.I. Joe fan, I was kind of like, well, why am I doing this? This is not necessary. We don't need to know this. I mean, I, I knew what they were doing. I understood the McCullen family. I Destro weapons manufacturing. I got all of that. Yeah. But I, I was I was rather disturbed that immediately in beginning this film that we, that we were flashing back to Destro's family. Yes, we begin on it. You know, it's yeah, it's it's it's. I wonder why too. When you because when you come to the end of the movie, you're like you, you will say this to yourself. Well, that wasn't necessary. That was exactly. At, the film does not play it out. Destro, look, Destro is a great character. In in the comic there's no doubt about that he's not the central character no no and the screenplay decided to make him kind of central and 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 then didn't follow it no no well, and, and audience in this vignette you're going to see the problem that the script has again and again about yes. who they make central to the plot and then have trouble fleshing anything out so so then we go straight from well maybe not straight from him i can't remember precisely let me consult my notes here but from from the castle do we go to mccullough in the the the, the descendant we go to james mccullough in the modern day okay. and he is presenting uh to uh the united states government that he's created a a nanotech weapon uh and james mccullough who will eventually be destro spoilers uh and and he is played by christopher e uh, eccleston who's not even very high on the cast list no and yet the screenplay seems to make destro front and center now let's get this out of the way i i actually i i love christopher eccleston a lot yeah he's actually uh for those out there who are doctor who fans he's my favorite doctor he, he's single-handedly responsible for resurrecting the series in 2005 because he was the first doctor after a bit of a hiatus he was the ninth doctor he's my favorite he only did nine or ten episodes which are sheer uh, science fiction genius yes he's a really terrific actor and i'll just say this right now he is terrible in this movie he is terrible he he is you talked about the the, the bad scottish accents in in the uh in the flashback i don't think that he adds to it at all and he he offers as great an actor as he is offers not one ounce of conviction to any scene in this movie i can't blame him no but he does not He's not a good Destro. No, 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 no. Um, let's see here. So at this press conference uh, where he's talking about the nano weapons, we have General Hawk and Cover Girl there wearing conflicting camo schemes at a meeting at uh, at the Pentagon or something or wherever the fuck they met. And then let's see here. What's my what do my notes say right after this? God, this is terrible. Okay, that's probably not. Okay, so from right there, we go to the people who are going to transport these new nano weapons from a secure location to uh, through unsecure territory to another secure location. We don't really get any explanation for why they would carry these over ground or why wouldn't they fly these things under air under air force security i don't understand this next bit but we get duke and ripcord and front and center we get their banter a lot and duke is played by channing tatum ripcord is played by marlon wayans who strangely is an egregious black stereotype in this film he he clicks all the tropes he's not very bright he's not the better soldier he uh 
shirks his duty sometimes. Like when uh, he looks at the, when they're getting the, the weapons to take someplace, he uh, sees that they're really, really dangerous. And then he kind of like comedically pawns them off on some other soldier to take to the next location. You know, like, why not just play him as a straight soldier? I was so offended by this. And I don't know if it was the director. I know that this is this is sort of a stock kind of character that Mar- Marlon Wayans sometimes does. But like, why would you do this? Why would anybody think that this is a good idea? It's 2000 and whatever. It, it, it definitely dates the movie, even though it's only 2009. Um, 1979. Well, Marlon Wayans benefits from the fact that Channing Tatum is one of the most like cardboard cutout placeholder leading men that we've probably talked about in any of the films that we reviewed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you're right in everything that you just said, but the banter that you talked about, the dialogue in these scenes it, it is fan fiction writing. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm signing up with the Air Force. I want to be a pilot. I didn't know they accepted applications in crayon. Like, yeah, it, yeah. all bad stuff. It, it's all... Oh, uh, I need military banter, uh, you know, and, and then you just throw something down and okay, that'll do. And, and that's something that this movie does a lot. I feel like that in the writing and the execution, there's a lot of, yeah, that'll do. That's good enough. That, that'll draw people in. That'll make people laugh. That'll, you know, that's, that's enough high octane action to kind of yes. kill people in. And the other, thing, the other thing that I noticed during these scenes, and I think that they're, I think that they're trying to do a Marvel movie as I was watching this they're trying to tell a fast-paced story and they're trying to do kind of I think they're trying to do sort of Robert Downey Jr. ad-libs it seems like oh you might be totally right there because actually one of the things that actually occurred to me was okay this movie was made in 2009 Iron Man was 2008 which was a very popular film and and rightly so Iron Man begins with a military convoy being attacked yes yes this film begins after the flashback to the 17th century to a military convoy being attacked which sets the stage for the rest of the movie yes yes Duke and, and Ripcord by the way guys Duke is a character that was actually very popular in the cartoon. So I could see maybe why when you're doing a, a nostalgia movie where you'd be like, we have to put Duke in this as well. Because there are a lot of people who maybe didn't read the comic book, but they got their G.I. Joe through the cartoon. And maybe this is one of his, he was one of their favorite characters. I don't know. But anyway, so they incorporate him. And I think that that's fine. But Ripcord, yeah. Ripcord has like, uh, Ripcord was not a big character in the comic book or the cartoon. And I don't know why they picked Ripcord. Why didn't they, why didn't they make it any other character that, that would have resonated? with audiences i mean i i might have had a ripcord figure i don't think i did actually no i didn't i had alpine but there was stalker there was roadblock there was uh and they use heavy duty in this movie instead of roadblock which is very which is very odd and so some of the casting choices like like i said if you're gonna make a nostalgia movie you have to grab that primary audience because that primary audience is the people you want to keep coming back to see the movie and if you use these obscure characters that nobody saw that much of and nobody cared that much about i don't know how you expect to get repeat viewing. I don't know how you expect to get original fans to be like, hey, this is this is a nice continuation of what I watched as a as a young person. And it's it's I think it's a great thing. I can't say that about this movie, you know, and I, I'm a huge G.I. Joe fan, but but so so I don't understand why they made the casting choices, that, uh, not the casting choices, but the character choices that they made. I just I you know they have Scarlet and they have Snake Eyes, and I'll get into that in a minute, but 
they don't do anything with any of these characters really but 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 they also pick weird characters breaker isn't a good one because he was an original character from the the toys and in the comic book he's actually a character that i kind of like in the movie but they don't do much with him but anyway let's back up a little bit duke and ripcord they're going to transfer this and they're going to have banter they're going to transfer these weapons and have banter and then they get attacked by bad science fiction the the ship that attacks them look i'm going to say this right now every effects shot of vehicles in this movie looks like they just rushed to it and they were they're like do we want to wait for this effect shot to finish rendering nope we've got to get it out the door because there's no texture on anything it's all silver it has absolutely no depth it doesn't feel like a real thing i i agree with that but i would add to it as well i mean um a, a, a different point. Okay. That uh, growing up, every GI Joe fan knows that the design of uh, of all of the vehicles, whether it's an actual F fourteen uh, Tomcat, which is what the Joes flew in the comic, or if it was the the Cobra vehicles, which were usually very creative in their design, yep. the vehicle designs in these movie in this movie are terrible. They're boring. They're so outlandishly science fiction that they make no sense. What you're saying is absolutely true about the technology of the Joes. It was based on identifiable, real world military hardware. The, yeah. the tank that they drove was in, I think, an M1A1. The, you said the F-14 Tomcat. The, the Cobras had A-10s, you know? They had a stealth thing, too. They had, like, a Lockheed jet as well, the, the SR-71. But they had all of these identifiable military hardware things. But nothing makes sense in this movie. It's it's like it's all operating on Stark tech. The Cobras, the Cobra craft that comes in and attacks the the kind of rel- uh, the, the normal military convoy Humvees and all personnel carriers or whatnot it it has no wings it hovers on what looks like repulsors and i'm just like what the fuck are we watching it's not a helicopter it's not a jet it's it's i don't know what it's supposed to be it's a flying electric razor i don't i don't know you know so they're attacked by cobra and um they they are decimated yes i think think almost everybody is killed very quickly but duke and ripcord they're able to survive and they are trying to protect the nanotechnology that has been provided by by, by Mars, which is uh, McCullen's company. And then suddenly, in, in very small world fashion, Duke's ex-girlfriend shows up as the villain to take this technology. It takes him by surprise, but uh, and she, she almost overpowers him and escapes until suddenly a, a military team shows up to save the day. This is our first introduction to the G.I. Joe team. I want to say, too, in this attack, when Cobra attacks them, they also have energy weapons. They don't fire conventional military hardware. They have, like, repulsor cannons. And every time they blow up a helicopter in this, they do this slow-motion shot of the energy projectile coming towards the helicopters that they're shooting down. And, and I was just like, oh, my God. And they did it twice. They 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 We'd gotten a... a We've seen a slow motion helicopter explosion once, and then we see it again uh, from a slightly different angle on a different helicopter. The actor playing the helicopter pilot says, oh my God, as dramatically as I just said it, just before he's he's rendered pulp by the energy weapon. And uh, they also have these... Uh, crazy zombie soldiers the vipers that that which were which were kind of a thing in the comic book in the cartoon i wouldn't have minded that so much but i think it's a a kind of a a bad idea to lead with that high-tech zombie weapon when i think as a fan what i kind of wanted to see in this maybe what i would have wanted to see in an initial encounter was kind of the traditional cobra soldier with their face half covered you know in in the oh totally in the in the mask and like 
recognizably being part of some kind of ideological organization. Well, and that's and see, and that's one of the problems is that uh, one of the things Hama did, which seems strangely relevant now, is that he made Cobra a cult that really kind of caught fire and was able to develop the means to develop technology and exert their influence on the world. Yeah, I'm still not sure what Cobra is really out to do. I mean, film. No. This film is really, at least initially, more about Destro yes. and, and his desire to develop this weapon and that there's somebody backing him who obviously have incredible technology that already outdistances anything that, that the yeah. United States or the G.I. Joe team, which we're only now meeting, has. But the Joes show up. We have some some action scenes that I, I don't find particularly memorable. No, they're, they're utterly forgettable except for their poor rendering of the effects and just the kind of unimaginative way they do everything in the in the initial shot and this yeah well well and the thing is look i mean this film's already flubbed everything up to this point but as a gi joe fan this is supposed to be a big moment yeah is you know everything's falling apart and then these guys show up and well these guys are experts yes guys and gals like you know scarlet is, is um uh not to be fucked with and 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 all you know all of them just are supposed to make mincemeat of everybody they see they do well they say yeah. But really, it's it just feels like oh, another military unit showed up and kind of kind of well, we, things up. I don't think this works. I I don't. No. Well, the problem is we've seen this already. We've seen this kind of an attack with Transformers. We've seen this kind of attack in Iron Man. And we've seen it in other films too b- before this moment. But when the Joes come in, it's just not that interesting. And there's the fact that, like, so Snake Eyes comes in and he kills some of these Vipers, which are humans who have been given a uh, some kind of serum that makes them immune to pain and fear and yada, yada, yada. And it can heal them a little bit. But, but Snake Eyes comes in and he does all of these weird twirls and flips and s- flourishes with his sword that serve no purpose. It's just like, why are you doing this? You know, like you're an elite fighter. Why are you wasting energy moving your swords around if that that movement isn't killing something, you know, or protecting you? And so it's almost like a dance, what he's doing. Anyway, so... Cobra doesn't get the things and the the weapons, the nanotechnology MacGuffins. And this is how Duke and and Ripcord end up being brought back to the Joe headquarters. Now, I think they're somewhere in the U.S. Am I right about this? Oh, no, they're in Egypt. No, no, no. I mean, when they get attacked, they're somewhere in the U.S. Oh, oh, yeah. They're somewhere in the U.S., yes. Okay, okay. So, So the Joes confront, not confront, but they try and debrief ripcord and duke so the joes are trying to talk to these guys and they're saying hey you know we're we're superior we're, we're a different part of the u.s military or whatever and uh we're gonna take these off your hands and duke's like no i signed for him i'm gonna i'm not even gonna fucking waste my time talking about what the fuck duke says doesn't matter duke doesn't want to leave the the weapons and so he's gonna go where the weapons go and so the joes present duke with a hologram like a, a holographic projection of the general I, I kept asking myself why with all of the technology in this film why are you guys trying to make this so science fiction like why do you think that projecting a hologram to a soldier who's never seen any of these kinds of weapons is going to enhance your credibility at all and the general Hawk looks like a character from a cartoon he's got like a leather bomber jacket he's got like a t-shirt on and camouflage pants I mean he looks like he's trying to imitate Snake Plissken from the uh, Escape from New York movies he doesn't look like somebody from the military in 
In fact, nobody who Duke is addressing in the Joes looks like anybody from a conventional U.S. military. So why would he listen to any of them? I just, uh, so audience, this is a problem that I'm having that the film shouldn't make me have. Anyway, go ahead. No, I, I, I agree. And in theory, in theory, Dennis Quaid should have been a great choice as Hawk. Oh, absolutely. I think he's terrible. Oh, uh, he, he, yeah, he 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 um he overacts. He's kind of doing this caricature of the of the gruff general. Yeah, I think Dennis Quaid could have done this. Oh, yeah. I, I actually feel like that Stephen Somers. This is the first of many uh, strikes against his uh, his work as a director in this movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If, if you can make a decent actor like Dennis Quaid fall on his face. Well, but okay. But it's also a role like if you had told me. Yeah, Dennis Quaid's gonna play Hawk. I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, that would work. Yeah, yeah. And, and it and now there are times in the movie that it does work, but but he has some moments that are just. I feel like he didn't know what to do. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So. Before we move on and we move to the G.I. Joe base, I want to talk about Snake Eyes, who is a character that every G.I. Joe fan has been waiting to see on the big screen since we opened up that, that plastic bubble blister on his package. You know, we've been waiting for that character to be on the big screen. Yeah. And this, as a fan, is a really upsetting moment. Snake Eyes is in a is is in foam rubber musculature like Batman from Batman 1989, like Michael Keaton wore. He has a rubber face mask on and the rubber face mask has lips molded oh. onto it. Lips molded My onto it. <laughs> why, why does his rubber face mask have lips molded onto it? Snake Eyes is a mute. Uh, he can't speak um, except in sign language and clicks and he has some he has some codes that he uses with uh, with his fellow Joes. But this is singularly one of the dumbest costuming decisions I've the, the film makes and it makes a lot of bad decisions in costuming. Yes. But this he also has his secret ninja clan tattoo uh, or the 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 I Ching symbol that he, his, his clan uses. It's a secret, yeah. but it's it's painted on his rubber body. And on his sword, and it's in, in, engraved into his swords. The secret writing is just out there for everybody to see. The secret writing audience is out there for everyone to see. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I sort of wish they would have put the secret writing on his stupid fucking lips on on, on his costume. What did you think, Jason, when you saw? The foam rubber lips. I I I thought it looked really bad, like 1980s bad. Like what everything that we were afraid of when we thought of a live action GI Joe film kind of was made flesh. <laughs> and and um, I I was I was stunned. I, I I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So so that's stunningly bad. But guess what, audience? We're gonna get worse. You ain't seen anything yet. <laughs> so Duke won't leave the case, and the Joes didn't shoot him like I wanted them to and just take the case from him. And so they take Duke and Ripcord to their base. And Jason, you were... You were saying where the, the base was? Egypt. So audience, they get in a stupid, shitty sci-fi craft and they fly from the Midwestern US to Egypt. And the only thing I could think of, and the only reason why I could think they did this was because Stephen Somers had extra footage from the mummy and they decided that that's where they needed to put the base since they had this extra footage. And they fly by the pyramids and they fly over a guy with camels and then a big hole opens up in the desert and this 
this this craft lands in the desert the pit the pit is somewhere in egypt which is the pit is the gi joe base it's this big facility and duke and rip quarter quite amazed this is very small this is very small uh because actually i i have to say whenever i watch a movie i try to muster as much positive i try to note as many positive things as i can uh to kind of combat you know maybe the mood that i'm in when i'm watching a movie i i did not like the idea of it being in egypt uh folks in the comic it's in staten island uh which is where the, the pit is but i have to say the only thing in this movie that for a brief moment made me that kind of made alive for me that oh this is an elite anti-terrorist uh organization was you know so they're kind of going down through the different levels of the pit and we see all the different training areas it's a brief couple seconds in which we get this idea that the gi joe team is is this legit organization that nobody knows about that is working very very hard to keep the world safe and for a brief moment i was like okay yeah that's the gi joe team then the moment ended and we can now go back to the 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 rest of the film so i didn't i didn't have that positive moment that jason i i i did it was it it, it was literally less than 30 seconds now there are some nice training sequences in that moment i i do agree with you i do agree with you that there are some things that that the people are doing but here's the thing again thinking about the nostalgia audience that you want to rope into this why the fuck didn't didn't steven somers and his team have recognizable joes running around doing these trainings no why, that, why wouldn't you do that yeah. why wouldn't you have that little bit of fan service that would make fans that would that would make fans forgive some things and this film needs to ask for a lot of forgiveness and it does and and so then um duke and ripcord meet hawk we are then it's kind of revealed to us that duke was once offered to join the team and refused yeah yeah but now now he's desperate to join the team for some reason yeah and uh and hawk tells him to take a walk and you know we you know we don't want you this kind of thing yeah uh in the meantime now they have the weapons and uh james mccullen which is eventually going to be destro contacts them and is like okay you know, you've got the weapons i need to have access to them so put in the code yes and so they put in the code mccullen makes some adjustments to the the briefcase that uh, we don't know anything about I, fans know fans yeah. know that it's not good yeah, yeah um uh, but he makes some adjustments to the briefcase and basically what he did because the joes had turned off the tracking device and he basically turns it back on which means that cobra command will be able to discover the pit uh here we are in the first film what we're not even an hour in and the pit's about to be discovered by yes yes by uh by cobra this is another one of those weird holograph projection moments where james mccullough isn't there physically he appears to general flag in the form of another hologram and that's again i I just don't understand you know why they chose to do something so needlessly complicated but but so yeah you're right the pit's about to be rediscovered and attacked but i want to pause for a moment because from there we go to mccullough yelling at his subordinates yelling at baroness and this is all via various zoom holograph calls there's a pandemic going on apparently apparently yeah yeah yeah. and and he's like (laughs) i 
I needed those weapons and you didn't get them. That's all I'd ask you to do. And you couldn't do it. Baroness is like, uh, you want to try that again? I, I think we could do that accent a little better. But but she's like, no, we'll get it. You know, we'll attack the pit. And then uh, we find out that Destro's making a, a play and an, another, he's got like Storm Shadow involved too. Storm Shadow's going to, he's going to send Storm Shadow to do some shit. Storm Shadow's a ninja. It doesn't, I don't know. I don't even know how much I want to talk about this movie, but but he's, he's having a bunch of different holographic conversations, Destro is. And then we find out that Baroness, Duke's ex-girlfriend is is shacked up with a, a lord, a French lord, something uh, Alexandra, Alexandre de Cobray or something like that. In the comic book and in the cartoon, do uh, Destro and Baroness had a thing behind Cobra Commander's back, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they had a. I mean, I don't know if this was explained later in Larry Hama's run, but um, they don't give us the uh, Larry Hama. At least in, in the issues that I read, never gave us. The the backstory no no um but they knew each other long before they were in cobra and that was always very interesting and i thought so too yeah and and they sort of they sort of touch on that and although no they blow that in this movie oh they oh they blow oh, badly badly but i'm just saying they kind of try to incorporate that storyline in this movie a little bit anyway baroness is talking to him to destro and and destro's like ex- exhibiting some jealousy and he's like well if you know if you kiss that guy who she's married to i think yes um, you know i have to i'll have to have him kill anyway whatever she's gonna get her husband to do something for the MacGuffins that they have to go chase around and and Destro then talks to holographic storm shadow and he says you need to go back her up and if if Cobra touches her kill him okay then then holograph storm shadow vanishes and then oh god uh and then Destro stands by the window of what we might have assumed is his office building and then the camera pulls through the digital window to reveal that no he's actually aboard fucking Nemo's Nautilus. Uh, Nemo's Nautilus, guys, is is from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. He's in a submarine that is that Disney could sue his, could sue this movie for. I mean, it, it, it is the Nautilus. I mean, Kirk Douglas's skeleton is probably rattling around in there somewhere, or, or James Ma- uh, James uh, James Mason, Mason, another design stolen. But I mean, why is Destro? tooling around in a submarine oh i mean there's more questions to come uh that we'll get to so yeah uh, so anyway um so they know where the pit is the pit gets attacked by baroness and her high-tech vipers okay well before that before that we have several vignettes of duke and ripcord absolutely trying to prove to general hawk that they deserve to join the gi joe team yeah and General Hawk and and we are convinced that they deserve to be on the team, that they are not going to be a, a, a liability, and they are now Joes. Yes. So we get that vignette. Some of this was not terrible, but why why is it that why is it that Duke performs stellarly? And what we and this goes back to that Marlon Wayans uh, black stereotype trope. He's far less good than Duke. Like he scores at the bottom of the special operations distributions duke is the best duke is at the very top and his buddy is at the very bottom you're totally right and 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 duke is a very boring character ripcord is is potentially far more interesting he actually begins to flirt with scarlet yep. uh, a, a very uninteresting female character who she for some reason is not interested in relationships at all or emotions oh, i'll get into that in a minute no, which i like that oh, I, mean, I, did, I did not i was so no, no no in theory I liked it. Okay. 
but they never explain why they never explain what you know why she is the way she is you know is there some kind of backstory you know is she a scarred person they don't go in, is she just somebody that that um you know kind of had to prove herself and this kind of thing like they they don't really go into that at all she just you know i i don't do anything i i uh you know that's not rational or something well and, no no I, she says something even stupider than that they they hint a little bit Barely that she and Snake Eyes have a very profound friendship, which is what they had in the comic book. They had a very profound friendship in the comic. Oh, no, book, in the well, comic, she's in love with him. Okay, okay, I couldn't remember, but I know he saves her, and it's in saving her that it costs him his voice, right, and some of his face. Yeah, and of course, I mean, really, we get the sense, and again, this is something about the comic is amazing that they really love each other very much. Yeah. But Snake Eyes has decided that it can't go anywhere, but he still he will back her always oh yeah, yeah yeah and 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 that's that that's all great stuff none of that is done here not even a little fucking bit so here's why i was so phenomenally offended by the scarlet character first we get some stupid banter between oh let me just let me go back to the scene because the whole fucking scene made me mad they're they're about to become joes they're happy and they go to the weight bench the only thing that i can say positive about the film is that they did not massively inflate how much duke could lift on the bar he's got about 185 pounds and that's about what it looks like a guy like Channing Tatum could do reps with. It's fine. But the thing that infuriated me is when they go to the weight bench, they both take off their shirts. And I was like, why the fuck are you doing that? You're going to, nobody likes to see that at the gym. Nobody, everybody would look at those two guys and be like, you guys are not big enough to have your shirts off showing off your muscles. It's not that they're badly built. But it's just asshole gym behavior. And they just look like two dumbass dude bros who are trying to impress people. And I don't think that's the, that I don't think that's what you want to get from your heroes. So it's also symbolic though of the aesthetic of this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like that that's the kind of that's kind of audience this movie goes for, in my view. You mean they don't want an audience? <laughs> <laughs> so 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 then they're having a little banter while they're talking and we learn from ripcord that oh they say that uh scarlet graduated college when she was two years old i, I think it's like 12 i can't remember it, it, it's you know it's it's an it's even and young and he's like you think i have a shot and he's supposed to be spotting duke and he says hell with it i'm gonna go talk to her and he gets on the treadmill with her and so the camera is looking at Scarlet as a sex object. The other thing that's happening too, oh God, let me get back to this. Breaker, we see him and he's playing chess by himself. Very nerdy, very, we were supposed to, he's supposed to be very bright. Get that sense and he's, like I said, he's playing chess with himself. Maybe nobody likes him, I don't know. And then on the speed bag, which is one of the more useless bits of fight training apparatus, we have Heavy Duty hitting it about as ineptly as I've ever seen a, a speed bag hit in a in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, everything is terrible. In the scene. And then we get like this Scarlet is in her bra and some Luluman yoga leggings or something. And that's when that's when Ripcord comes and tries to hit on her. And it's his his dialogue is very terrible. But when we when he starts to approach her, she picks up this book that is supposed to indicate how brilliant and smart she is. I had to look this up. This is a book about principles of physics, uh, discovered by Niels Bohr. And yeah. 
And we're just supposed to, I mean, it's supposed to be like a smart book. But like what I thought when I saw this, this is a woman who we're supposed to assume was a genius. She graduated from college, you know, at 12. And, you know, she probably has advanced degrees. But she elected to be a fucking soldier. Why the fuck is she reading a book that has nothing to do with anything that she's dedicated her life to being good at? Like... I would have expected her to be reading Klaus, Klauswitz or, or, you know, the art of war or any kind of like, or fucking a manual about fucking firearms, you know, anything like, like I would have expected her to be pretty down to earth. And then they have this ripcord says, well, you're attracted to me and I'm attracted to you. And then she turns to him and says, well, yeah, but that's, that's all based on emotions and emotions are something you can't, you can't quantify and you can't, uh, you can't verify. And so I don't, I don't, I don't do anything. I don't engage in anything that, that I can't quantify. And I'm just like, you you can quantify these things. These are products of your biology. Like these are actual physical things. Now, if somebody says that they love you or they're attracted to you, you kind of have to take their word for it unless you hook them up to a bunch of like, uh, unless you do a bunch of blood work on them and do a bunch of testing on them to see if their, their chemical signals are matching up with anything like what they're saying, you know, but these are all biological signals. This is all based in real things. Like you could say that I don't have time to engage in relationships, even like light physical ones, because I really want to dedicate myself to being a soldier or whatever it is that she could have said, they could have said something so much more interesting than what they said, which didn't make much sense for a person who's supposed to be as fucking brilliant as she's supposed to be. And why the fuck did they make Scarlet a fucking sex object? Dude, her toy is covered from head to toe in military gear. Her original toy. She's not eye candy. She's a goddamn stone cold operator. And they turned her into fucking TNA. I was so fucking mad. Anyway, sorry. I just crippled Jason and I went on a rant that I've been wanting to go on since I watched the movie. Let it go. Let it go. So, and, and then, uh, so I'll, I guess, I guess I'll, I'll go next. Yes. So what ends up happening is Cobra now knows the location of the pit. They attack the pit and, and, and Duke is kind of the, you know, Johnny on the spot. He's right there when they attack and he ends up facing down the Baroness and things happen. I don't, there's lots of details in this movie that are very forgettable. But there, there's a moment where he has to drop on her. He's got a gun to her fucking forehead. Yep. And all he has to do is squeeze the trigger, which duty demands. Yes. And the, the nanotechnology is safe and, and, and Cobra's defeated. And he can't do it. And she knows that he can't do it. And she mocks him for it. Uh, the Joe team shows up. They try to prevent Cobra from uh, seizing the nanotechnology. They they fail, really. Yeah. And Storm Shadow, who's, who's with the Baroness, they both escape with the nanotechnology. Now, one of the things that I could not escape in this moment, in what is supposed to be, I guess, a romantic and dramatic scene, is that Duke is single-handedly responsible for the rest for the problems of the rest of the film. And he also single-handedly demonstrated that General Hawk's doubts about him were right on target. Yep. Right on target. This was something, look, at this point of the movie, I was already kind of out of it, but this was unforgivable to me. Yeah. That the, the absolute protagonist of the movie, it should be stated that Channing Tatum is supposed to be the hero protagonist 
antagonist of this movie. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, we're supposed to, his arc is supposed to be the thing that we are the most, you know, kind of into and following. I mean, the fact that he had this past romantic relationship with the Baroness very conveniently is supposed to be a central plot point. But he's also supposed to be a Joe. And I cannot get past the fact that his failure in this moment, I mean, look. It's so profound. You would not have to have him just shoot her in, in the forehead. You, you would have had it. But it, but at least make some attempt to to disable her. The fact, he, the fact that he does not eat, that she basically just just almost leaves, yeah, disqualifies him in my. Oh, yeah. This was this was unforgivable. And now, see, I was so I was still I was still so reeling from the the Scarlet business that I didn't actually notice this moment. But I think you're right. A better director would have had him would have had him take the shot and for some reason miss. Like you would have had him do you would have had him do the boom and and shoot at her because you know that that's what that's what he that's what duty required you could have done something it wouldn't be like this but remember in avengers infinity war star lord does try and kill gamora and he can't do it he you no, know, he pulls the trigger but yeah, yeah. oh right right, right, right yeah. because uh because thanos is warped reality and what does thanos say when that happens oh i like this one because yeah. he put duty above connections this movie does not do that at all no not nothing even remotely like we haven't got to this next bit yet but there are suits that they wear uh eventually uh, you know walmart versions of the iron man suit that the joes are going to put on in a little bit only two of them the least experienced joes who only recently you know fucking tried them out but yeah we'll put those guys in it because you know let's try and maximize the collateral damage as we run through a city in oh, iron man suits well not only that but let's let's put the guy who dropped the ball yes when it mattered and let's put him in the suit yes yes you could you could almost you could almost see putting ripcord in the suit because he is, is he seems to be a gifted pilot. That's he's desperate to be a pilot, yeah. yeah. And and he's qualified on a lot of different aircraft, so maybe okay. But 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 they don't actually explore that in the training. They don't they don't show him like showing off in like any aircraft. You know, they didn't even get a throwaway line. He's qualified on every joke aircraft that we've you know showed him. I mean, he's good. You know, they could have done something like that. The guy's a natural. You know, pretty shocking for a black stereotype. Fuck, I hate this movie. But 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 they, but they figure out that that. Uh, Baroness is going to Cobra, the Cobra, this this French lord, and she reveals to uh, to De Cobra, who's a fucking nanotechnologist, that she needs him to arm these warheads. And what I think, guys, is if you if you if you've perfected these weapons, uh, these warheads, which look like they go on the end of of uh, RPGs, you don't need to do anything else. You just got to launch them. You don't need to take them to a arming shop to have them be hit with special lights that will suddenly make them battle ready because the whole the whole intro to these weapons these things are going to revolutionize combat uh these things are so dangerous right now that we need to send them under armed guard because like you don't need to do that if they're inert they didn't send inert weapons go ahead sorry i don't want to step on your toes not only that not only that james mccullen if he could develop this technology why couldn't he he's a weapons manufacturer yeah couldn't he weaponize it well None, none of that, none of that makes sense, you know. And then they send it to Baron de Cobre, who I think they even, dem- I mean, that th- they stay. I think he says, you know, we're peaceful, you know, like, like you know, that they don't do that sort of thing. But, but in a few minutes, they weaponize. Um, they're able to weaponize this technology that they that they know nothing about. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I, I think he was supposed to be a distraction for the audience.
Alliance, we were supposed to think he was going to end up being the Cobra commander, you know, because of the Decobra kind of thing. I think we were supposed to think he was part of it. When she went in there and told him, and he, he protested, yeah. uh, it wasn't until she kissed him that I even, oh, that's her husband. Like, like I, I had totally lost that thread uh, by that point. And, and so so he kisses her and then Storm Shadow kills him. And then don't, don't, don't even talk about it. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, so now they have these things weaponized. I, I was just baffled by that. So anyway, now they've got the, they've got them double weaponized, you know, they're supreme weaponized now. You know? And now they've got to get the, 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 the weapons out of, of where are they at in France? I don't know. Where's the, where's the Eiffel Tower? Yes. Paris. Sorry, audience. This is the second time we've been to the Eiffel Tower in our, in our, True. in our films, but we don't get a lot of, like I don't think we got a did we get a bottom third that said we were in Paris I don't remember uh, I don't remember either who gives a shit but so they're chasing the Cobras. They send Sna- the, the G.I. Joe sends Snake Eyes to go try and chase down some of these guys. And they put the two new Joes, the two relatively untested Joes, and where they have been tested, one of them has failed miserably. And they put them in these suits that they then run through Paris, wreaking more damage on Paris than, or at least as much damage as, as Cobra will do to Paris. Yeah. Um, they run through buses. They smash through walls. They, they knock cars over. Over. They are disasters. And then there's a stupid line where, where, and of course, Marlon Wayans is going to do this bit. Heavy Duty says to, to Ripcord, he says, be careful. Those are multi-million dollar suits. And then Marlon Wayans says, what? And he falls over a few times. And I'm just like, this is a dumb thing to say. Anyway, these are combat suits. Be careful with them. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm about to go get shot at in these suits. But but then, of course, Marlon Wayans is enacting this awful stereotype and he's clumsy and he falls over immediately. And then he and uh, Duke go, go run through the city and fucking terrorize it. At the same time, Snake Eyes is doing so much better than these guys in these low-rent Iron Man suits. He's keeping up with the, the bad guys. He doesn't wear a suit. I think that the Joes have made yet another terrible mistake in utilizing Duke and Ripcord when what they needed to do was just hire the clan that made snake eyes right because there's no collateral damage the only people who are getting mangled when snake eyes is in action is the bad guys yeah now i want to say this right now audience there's nothing interesting at all in this action scene nothing i agree some of it is a direct ripoff of some action scenes from the transformers movie there's some uh stunts quote-unquote stunts that the bad cgi duke and bad cgi ripcord do in the suits that duplicate some of the actions from the transformers movie kind of going back to the to the idea that maybe they were aping the transformers movie in a lot of ways but there's a stupid line where uh we're, we're, so a, a train is going in front of duke and 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 ripcord and duke jumps over it and ripcord crashes through it and duke says why didn't you jump ripcord's like you can do that in this thing and duke says i didn't you read the manual? And Ripcord says, what manual? Why the fuck are these two piloting these suits? And how is it that Ripcord is a great pilot when he doesn't seem to read the instructions of anything? <laughs> so there's a fucking chasey chase through the city. And uh, I think Cobra, the, the guys get away. Snake Eyes and, I'm sorry, uh, Storm Shadow and uh, Baroness get away, right? Well, no. Uh, uh, yes. But Breaker recognizes that they aren't just trying to get away. They're trying to get to a... A site where they can use the weapon yeah 
they he uses his technology to figure out that oh my god the eiffel tower is in danger yeah there's there's one other maybe one or two seconds in the movie that i kind of enjoyed because snake guys his attempts to capture storm shadow and the baroness he ends up letting go of their vehicle and the baroness says he gave up and uh, this is actually kind of a good little moment where storm shadow he's thinking he's like he never gives up like he knows something's up the problem with that is is that there's a bullet train going by and why snake eyes would know that and be able to time that and storm shadow wouldn't know about it is kind of dumb but the the bullet train takes him out and but you know our our heroes in the uh in the suits slow motion through the uh the bullet train yeah storm shadow gets gets the weapon and goes into an office building and for him to stop him because the joes are like oh my god yeah they're gonna yeah they're gonna we gotta stop we gotta stop we gotta stop him storm shadow successfully fires the weapon strikes the eiffel tower and the nano the the nanotechnology begins dissolving the Eiffel Tower. And uh, so the Joes have failed. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't mind that so much. I don't mind that they would they would have a, a like the the middle chapter of the movie where they would have a moment where it goes south. Yes, ish. But the thing is, this is the first movie. Yeah. The movie has not established that they are alpha warriors, in my view. <laughs> No, I mean I, I don't think that it has. So the fact, so their failure here to me was an eye roll. Duke, you have to hit the kill switch, and so it's him and the Baroness, and he's running towards her, and she just shoots out the feet below him, and he he falls, and then it's she like a glass panel or something. Yeah, yeah a, a glass floor. He recovers, but she's about to escape, and the Eiffel Tower is being eaten alive. <laughs> And well, and and the nanotechnology, it's established it will not stop unless you hit the kill switch. Yeah. And uh, so, Duke, you have to hit the kill switch. So the Baroness gets into the the faceless, uninteresting uh, Cobra vehicle, and Duke realizes it's his last chance. So, he, so he's in he's in the uh, the suit of armor. He runs toward toward the uh, the Cobra plane, takes his helmet off, and throws it away. A bad move, which there's no reason for, because he's about to. Sp- Bring into a vehicle that is moving away from him and to have head covering would probably be rather important. Yeah. But he successfully spring springs into the ship, hits the kill switch in time to stop the nano technology, but not in time to save the Eiffel Tower, which collapses in spectacular fashion. Yes. And here I have to say, here I have to say, this movie is so bad that it copies Team America. <laughs> From the creators of South Park, yep. in which the Eiffel Tower absolutely was destroyed by, and it came before this. Yeah, yeah. Came before this. The Team America, which was created uh, by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, creators of South Park, in the very first scene of that movie, Team America, it's a comedy, folks. Yeah. And, and they're these, they're kind of like the G.I. Joe force. They're an anti terrorist force who show up and they, they stop these terrorists from destroying Paris. But in the process, they end up destroying. Destroying Paris. <laughs> and uh, it's funny. Uh, you're all safe. 
Paris is free, and then the Eiffel Tower falls down, kind of thing. It's kind of funny in this movie too. It it is, but it also, you know, for anyone that's seen Team America, it's like, really, yeah. you took a spoof and imitated the spoof. Well, I think they were also doing something that might have been kind of fan servicey, and I'm not sure if it was intended or in the original GI Joe miniseries. There were five episodes of the animated show, and Cobra had a thing called the Mass Device and they would oh, yeah. be able to move things around and they do move the Eiffel Tower and they they I don't know what they do with it but uh at the end of the show Breaker tries to put it back but he wasn't really paying attention and he put the Eiffel Tower back in London you may remember that that's right I do remember anyway maybe they were doing fan service or maybe they were just thinking of a new thing that hadn't been destroyed in a Roland Emmerich fashion in a movie before and so they did that in this but so the, the Joes have dropped the ball yet again and now a soldier is caught Duke is caught by Cobra and I want to say something else too and I, I'm not going to dwell on it for too long but every time Duke fails uh, or Baroness succeeds, we get a flashback to their doomed romance. We have to talk about this. And through these flashbacks, we're going to learn why Baroness became the bad guy. Anna became the Baroness. She was Anna something. She's going to become Anna, whatever Duke's last name is. I don't give a fuck what it is, but Anna Duke. But but she never became Anna Duke. And through these awful flashbacks, we learn why. And the romance and the banter of all of our principals, Ripcord, Anna, and Duke, is all bad. The, her brother joins in in this. Her brother was part of the same unit that Duke was in Afghanistan somewhere. Yes, we learned this in the in the backstory. And Duke is maybe in the his concussed state as he's being taken to the Cobra headquarters, which isn't in Egypt, but somewhere equally stupid. He flashes back to the moment where he and Anna's brother, who he's promised he'll bring back from Afghanistan in one piece. I'll bring him back, Anna. I promise. Which is something I don't think a good soldier would say. You know, I don't think he would say that to his to his wife about her brother. You know, I'll do my best. You know, I'll do my best to bring everybody back. I, I might not be coming back, honey, but you know, you got to understand we're in the military and I can't make that promise in good faith. They're trying to get into a building that has a lot of MacGuffins. They send, they're going to send in the science officer of this unit. Now, I don't know. I've, I've heard a lot of military stories over the years. How many science officers do ranger units have? It's not like the old, old, the oldie times when the British naval ships would have like a naturalist on board. Right. Like what does, what's the science officer bullshit? But they send him in when Duke says, you don't, you don't have much time. I just called it an airstrike. You don't send the guy in at that point because that's not precise. Yeah. Now we can't go in. We can't go in. We don't know. It's it, Sorry, that, that ship sailed. We just called it an airstrike. We need to pull back. That's what I'm well, guessing. Yeah, he's like, you have five minutes. Yeah. And the airstrike came early. Guys, it's not, it's just not that precise. It's not like he knew where they were and then he like ran some calculation. They should be here in five minutes, you know. <laughs> right. Better make it four to be safe. <laughs> but her brother runs in, science officer played by uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. He runs in and he sees the Viper testing that they're doing and he's just mesmerized. This is science. And so he's demonstrating that he's actually a pretty awful guy in this moment. And it would be better for everyone on the planet if he and Dr. Mindbender are destroyed. And what a throwaway thing to introduce Dr. Mindbender only to do nothing with him in the end, right? Yeah, he's like, if, you, if we survive this, I'll teach you everything. Yeah. You know, when talking about this, I talked about 
how you know kind of the shoehorn kind of quality of all of this yeah and that's more of that if we survive this i'll teach you everything you know in that moment i guess he makes that snap decision oh i i you know, if we survive I, I'm, I'm gonna have access to all of it yeah and that ends up creating all of this yeah yeah this movie actually is full of a lot of uh flashbacks we also have a flashback uh of the of the storm shadow uh snake eyes drama and we learned that snake eyes was a street urchin in tokyo for some reason and he ended up somehow sneaking onto an elite uh ninja compound to steal food like how the fuck did this happen this fucking street urchin kid who's a fucking gaijin a fucking american sneaks into a ninja facility and and he's already been trained. Yeah, he's already got something going on, you know. Now, now it should be said, this is Larry Hama yep. influence coming in and saying, look, you know, if you're going to do G.I. Joe, this was my story. Yep. But clearly he did not do rewrites because this is all just somebody totally unfamiliar with Larry Hama's, yep. in my opinion, totally unfamiliar with Larry Hama's oh. stuff. And just saying, well, I, yeah, I, I guess we got to put that in there. Well, no, because it, it doesn't like audience. I'm not going to go too much into this, but uh, the the Larry Hama story. But in this movie, they're kids. They're Storm, Storm Shadow, Snake Eyes are young kids. Storm, the young Storm Shadow catches the young Snake Eyes in the kitchen stealing some food. And folks, they have the best fight in the movie. These two 12 year old kids. I, I think it's the best fist fight in the. It's the best hand to hand fight in the movie. And it's terrible. <laughs> it's not great, but. But I mean, it, they do they do some things that look real. They look like little savage kids sometimes in the fight too, which I kind of like. But then uh, the master of the one of the masters of the of the of the Arashikagi clan uh, Kage clan sees the sees them fight and he's like, ah, oh, stop, Storm Shadow, get the kids some food and or something like that. The the, the, the sensei of the place takes snake sn the guy who will become Snake Eyes in right away, and that could have been done better. Like if he wanted to retweak the legend a bit i would have been okay with that if they would have just taken some care with it but they don't they don't no, take none, none at all none at all and so we get some vignettes of snake eyes getting better and better but it couldn't have i mean the vignette looks like it maybe was a week you know because they, they don't age at all like everything takes place from like a month so the moment he comes in and steals an apple and then a couple months later he's as good as storm shadow uh, which i didn't like and and i actually really like the the comic book origin of this this relationship because in the comic book i guess i will dive into this a little bit because it's a little more interesting it's a lot more interesting than the movie but yeah. snake eyes ends up in japan at the invitation of storm shadow because snake eyes after vietnam is devastated right. like he, he, he i don't think he can speak anymore his family's dead they die in a car accident right and storm shadow uh i can't remember the character's name his last name is arashikage but which means storm shadow <laughs> but but he's like my friend needs some family and i can provide that by bringing him back home with me right because yeah, um in, in the comic we never meet her but snake eyes had a twin sister who he was very close to yep. and 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 that was always cool that you know it's only in our imagination that we we didn't understand snake eyes any more than the joes did because actually the story that everyone that max is recounting is told through the memories of stalker and scarlet yeah we never get snake eyes version of anything no no and he always kept a picture of his sister in his boonie cap yeah anyway and he gets fucked up uh almost at the exact this is kind of another poetic larry hama moment um but he gets fucked up almost at the exact moment his sister dies in her car accident uh, you remember that and then the storm shadow like carries him away and they're both yeah. getting shot up i mean that was a bad day for that whole platoon um yes uh, and stalker ordered storm shadow to leave him yeah yeah 
but but anyway, we're getting off on 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 much. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on better GI Joe stuff in the uh, sometime in the future. But in this, they don't spend any time with it. We later learn that that in this movie they're going to reveal it right away. But Storm Shadow flees because he feel uh, it looks like he's upset with the master for for favoring. He thinks he's favoring Snake Eyes, and and then of course some point we stumble upon the dead hard master. I think is who it is. He's got a sword sticking out of his back, and and it looks like maybe Storm Shadow killed him. Right. Well, he was eating, you know, his breakfast and reading the New York Times and he flees. And that's the origin of that's all we get in this movie about their relationship. Petulant nine year old or 12 year old killed somebody and then went off to become an, a, a, a super terrorist. Whatever. A lot of flashbacks. Duke's caught. Now we're going to Cobra Base and Cobra Base, everybody, is under a giant glacier. I think in the, around the North Pole. Is that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they've got the nano they've got their nanotechnology weapons back and Duke is asking questions trying to get intelligence about where they're at where they're going yada 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 and he grabs the case and tries to run out with the case and he gets beat up pretty bad and not bad but but he gets beat up and tackled and they make fun of him for like what were you going to try and do? Were you going to try and run across the glacier in your t-shirt and uh, with the case? Where, how, how far do you think you're going to get? But what Duke was trying to do was expose the tracking device to the Joes. It's almost clever. <laughs> but then they take him into this uh, they take him into this iceberg that has an elevator shaft that takes him into an undersea base full of Nemo's old uh, <laughs> hardware, I guess. And it's this giant under... What I was calling it in my notes was underwater Coruscant, which is a giant city in Star Wars. That's going to be a lot more relevant than you expect audience my star wars reference there and the joes figure out oh they're in the north pole well we should go there and save the day yo joe so here's another place they could have done some fan service they they get in the sub and they go to the north pole they pop up and they ride some snowmobiles to the base the cave where they were the last got their signal why didn't they have snow job just a quick little throwaway line snow job's gonna lead you guys there he's got the best he's he's perfected like winter combat whatever you you know just have, or, or 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 just have a guy in a red beard and the and the outfit you know so okay i'm gonna lead you guys to the to the to the last place we saw duke and i'll set up a perimeter while you guys go in and do the hero shit and you know I mean, that would have been a nice moment where fans would have said, oh, it's snow job, you know? They didn't do that because they couldn't be fucking bothered. And so somehow they get, they have, they have a submarine. They're going to send some... Oh God, I forgot all about this. Do you remember the scene in the training facility back at the pit where they they flew around, quote unquote, flew around in their undersea fighter planes? Do you remember that? Yeah, I blotted that out. Okay, okay. So so the Joes have a submarine and they have basically underwater fighters, like yeah. a fighter jet, but it's a fighter jet ski that goes underwater. I don't know, audience, but so they have a fleet of those like you do because there's so much underwater combat that goes on in the world. Like this is such a form forward thinking uh, organization that they're like you know there's a there's a chance that we might have an underwater dogfight battle that some of our enemies might have underwater dogfight fighters too so we should have those somehow the joes sneak into this facility anything you want to add to this jason no not really i'm, I'm actually pretty anxious to get to the end <laughs> when i was saying that there was like a 
I was I mentioned Star Wars, and what what I meant was there are George Lucas does this thing at the end of Return of the Jedi, and it's Return of the Jedi that I think I want to highlight here, and it happens in the later Star Wars movies too. Well, there's like this three tiered climax. Oh, it happens in Phantom Menace too. We have a space battle, we have a soldier ground battle, and we have some hero battles. In Phantom Menace, we had Queen Padme leading the soldiers to a military objective. Yes. We had the space dogfight that was happening that was knocking out all the hardware up in space. Kind of a different visual. And then we had the hero battles of the Jedi fighting each other, right? Right. This movie steals that structure for its very own in this because they have the, the underwater dogfighting with the jet skis that move much faster than anything in the water should. Then we have the hero fights of, uh, of Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. Oh, that's right. And we have uh, the military battle that's kind of going on inside the underwater Coruscant City. Anyway. Uh, you know, I, I didn't notice any of that. I, yeah, I noticed it the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, they're doing Star Wars. Well, I mean, of course, none of it is well executed. No. Now, uh, we have forgotten. Mr. Bond, you've forgotten one of the most important characters of the film. President of the United States. Oh, but I did forget about that. Price. Jonathan Price? Yeah. Uh, so, Zartan. Uh, in this we movie, haven't mentioned it at this point, by the way. No, well, because because a, a totally undeveloped character that, that suddenly, surprise, is actually rather important. Uh, Zartan in this movie is uh, played by Arnold Vosloo. Vosloo, I think, yeah. Vosloo, yeah. Now see, now see, even this is dumb. I mean, he does come up earlier in the film where he just whistles uh, for he's a jolly good fellow. Was now, that what it was? I couldn't <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, but see, he, this is just, I mean, there's so many, there's so many things about this movie to criticize. Well, folks, before we go on, I just want to say Zartan is the master of disguise. Master of disguise. He whistles um, almost any time he's on screen for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. And it actually occurs to me that, you know, a better script would have picked something a little bit more creative. That is totally just very lazy for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. Like, that becomes kind of a, kind of a, a a, a, a calling device for the character. That's how we know it's Zartan is that he does that whistle. He initially imitates one of the the, the, the guards, one of the, the the Secret Service guards. The president is taken to a secure location, and uh, when, when the missiles, when the when the nanotech missiles get launched, right? Right. Yeah. Which which is going to happen in a second. But this has been set up all up to this point. Yeah. Zartan has been putting himself in position to kind of take over. And to me. This is a bit of a ripoff of uh, X-Men. Yes, yes, it is. Right? I oh, mean... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where the senator, I mean, the folks, the the film X-Men I'm talking about, where um, the senator who's anti, anti-mutant anti is replaced by Mystique, and that ends up carrying over to the next film, and spoiler, folks, this will carry over into the next film. Yes, yes. Zartan is minimally developed. Correct. I like, I like the actor a lot. I like the guy who plays him. I mean, he was actually pretty good in The Mummy. He was really fun in a movie called Hard Target. He's not a terrible actor, but like everybody in this film, he, he seems terrible, because of this movie. So a lot of the plot of Cobra with these nanotech devices seems to be to get Zartan in a place to capture the president and become the president. They inject Zartan's face at some point in this movie. Uh, we've forgotten to mention it because it, it's just so stupid. But they inject a bunch of these nanoparticles into his face and it allows his, his master of disguisery to even be more profound. He doesn't, his face can now change because of these, these nanotech, uh, these nanobots or whatever they are. And then he can, Arnold Vosloo can now 
now become Jonathan Price. So that's happening. We get the sense that he's about to take over and become the president. Cut back to moments before Cobra launches these nanotech missiles at various capitals all over the world. The Joes have to stop those as well. So, so that's when we get ripcord. We knew this was going to happen in the beginning when he talks about how he wants to fly a plane. He loves to fly. He's a great pilot. And he gets in a plane and chases these, these missiles down. And he disables all of them. And and in really bad effects, too. This is another terribly rendered plane. It's supposed to be an SR-71 Blackbird, which was a which was a really, really cool spy plane. He goes up and he chases the missiles down and blows them all up. By this point, too, Scarlet has overcome her fear of emotions uh, or whatever it is that she has. She's, she's got a microscope out. She's discovered hormones, yada, yada, yada. She likes the ripcord now. But then she and Duke have to go have a little fight with everybody. We've got our three-tiered combat. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow have a battle. Snake Eyes wins. Duke catches Cobra Commander and Destro. Everything resolves. I forgot. I've got to say this because it's it's it was such a wonderful moment when I was watching this with my daughter many years ago. When Cobra realizes everything's going tits up, they, they're going to lose the battle. Destro or the guy who will become Cobra Commander says hit the self-destruct mechanism which every one of these bases have blow the glacier up and we get this line that gets repeated a bunch everybody get out of here they're gonna blow the glacier up that gets said like five times by Duke and by Heavy Duty and it's I don't know why they repeat it so much but it was really annoying me the the Cobra base is deep in the sea on the seafloor and the glacier is like several hundred meters above them and they blow the glacier above them up and they're in ocean and the glacier floats on top of the ocean and the chunks of ice start falling from the glacier down to the seafloor. And as I was watching this, I've I've shared this story with Jason a bunch, but I was really proud of my six or seven-year-old daughter who leaned over to me and said, Daddy, doesn't ice float? And I said to her, yes, it does. So even my daughter, who was six or seven when this movie came out, saw the massive flaws in the film. So most of it gets resolved. Uh, Cobra Commander and Destro get caught. Destro gets the mask, gets his own version of the Destro mask put on him. That, that, that his ancestor got put on him in the beginning. So he gets like this metal mask put on him, but it's made of nanobots and it's a terrible effect. It is really, it, it looks like they just colored, like they, they colored on the cells of of the- Yeah. And, and so he's like, uh, um, you know, and he does that to him and he's like, ah! And then he's like, now I'm truly one of my family. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever he says. And then, and then, but then he he's kind of dominated by, by what we just, Discover as Cobra Commander. But actually, I so are they captured? I don't think they are. They do get captured because they get put in the they get put in the prison. They get put in the prison where Magneto is somewhere. They get put in these weird little cells off by them, uh off away from everybody on these little pillars and giant rooms. Are they? They are caught, yeah. They are in caught in this movie. In this movie, they are caught. Okay. And it is exactly a recreation of the scene where well, it's, it's the Magneto prison is what it is from X-Men. Yeah. As they were closing from that and they were leaving the, that prison, I was like, did they have trials? They needed, I hope they got trials. They right, right. The process. But anyway, 
credits roll. Uh, that's oh, it. Uh, no, we do need, well, we, we don't need to do this, but uh, Sienna Miller's the Baroness, she... Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, we discovered that she was being controlled the whole time by her brother, and Duke frees her, and the two of them are reunited, and it's a nice romantic ending. Oh, yeah, um, I, I forgot that the two... Her brother survived the bombing, and he was very badly damaged, and he's going to become Cobra Commander. And he's been hiding his is is being alive from his sister for years. But anyway, none of it matters. It's all stupid. And but she is she's basically off the hook for all of the people she kills because she was under mind control. Which if they'd have paid a little bit, if they paid a little bit more into that story, I would have been okay with. But I did sort of like that she felt bad about what happened and she didn't she wasn't bitter about being in jail, it didn't seem. I, I kinda or in, in like a mental facility to make sure that the programming was was being removed or whatever. I thought that she, I thought that, that was a okay character touch and i mean i guess we can get to the verdict i mean if the audience is curious about what we think about the movie i don't know if we've been well, i mean i mean i, I uh sylvestri did the score he did he did and 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 it's okay okay it's a bit below his usual standards i mean i think that a film like gi joe required something very rousing and very um noticeable to the ear and i don't think this quite delivers no i don't think it does either i i like i said i think should be like so yawning because this movie's bored me so much but I I think that Steven Somers was trying to do Marvel and Sylvester's score indicates that and in this final credit sequence I mean it is it's basically trying to be the closing credits of Iron Man or the Avengers none of the rousingness of the score isn't earned because it, it was never paired with visuals or story that, that I ever gave a shit about yeah. I mean it's okay I mean I would probably be okay to listen to on its own if I wasn't thinking about the movie yeah I would have thought that something like the Joe film would have would have wanted something a bit more militaristic, maybe some more militaristic drums, band, military band kind of music, something yeah. like the Captain America uh, sound, soundtrack. Actually, First Avenger. No, this film never never rises to the. Hama stories. It doesn't even rise to the fun and goofiness of the cartoon that much because it seems to be taking itself a little too seriously at times. Yeah. And if they wanted to do something like the cartoon, they really needed to lean into the goofiness of the cartoon, you know, but they never really do that either. They're just accidentally goofy a lot with the script. Audience, the verdict. This is not a movie that is so bad that it's good. If you're a fan of G.I. Joe, this is a terrible movie. It is one of the laziest scripts I've ever, ever seen put on film. It has no character development it has everybody in the film behave irrationally and in a way that I think it will offend most intelligent viewers. This is not a film I would ever recommend to anybody, but my worst, worstest enemies. And I, I don't think there's anything else I can add to it. It's a shitty, shitty movie. I I am in complete agreement. Actually, I I, I would say definitively that on uh, Max and Jason watch a movie, this is the worst movie that we reviewed. There is nothing, there is nothing about this film that, that I can be positive about. And look, Max and I have reviewed Supergirl. We have reviewed Superman 4, Quest for Peace, uh, Superman 3. Batman and Robin. Masters of the fucking universe. And all of these movies ha have um, a lot of things to be affectionate about. You know, um, reasons why I would watch them again. Even if there's moments that, that you know, maybe aren't so enjoyable, but, you know, are kind of amusing. And then moments that are like, oh, okay, I see what they were trying to do. I get that. I, I, I kind of like that. There's nothing Thing in this movie not one solitary moment i may have mentioned a moment or two in which i felt like well you know 
I, I, I kind of like that. I, I hated all of the performances, the character development, the script, the story, the special effects. Um, the music was below what one would expect of Alan Silvestri. And the use of Larry Hama's unbelievably excellent source material is actually insulting. And this film went out of its way to give us moments that, that throw you out of the film. Yeah. Or just toss you out of the film and never give you a reason to rejoin it. This is a terrible, terrible movie that should not be watched by anyone, especially G.I. Joe fans. I, I, it has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. I hated it. Uh, yes, I, I think Jason nailed it. That's the verdict for this film. I want to, I want to, I, before we go though, I want to uh, leave you guys with a rep, uh, a, a recommendation, uh, a G.I. Joe recommendation though. There is a animated series, not the original cartoon, though I, I would, I would say in the, the 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 original cartoon is something you can enjoy actually and and watch it with your kids it's pretty shallow and silly sometimes but the show i want you to watch it's uh you can get it on various streaming services is gi joe renegades and that's actually a good reboot of the of the series that does everything that a gi joe fan would want it to do which is the exact opposite of this film jason what are we doing next you know i'm not sure how we're going to do it but we are going to move on to the sequel of this film and yes they did make a sequel gi joe retaliation 2013. And who are they retaliating against? Fans stupid enough to step into the theater and watch this one, watch the next installment? Maybe so. All right, audience, uh, share us with your friends, share us on social media, share us on the Twitters and the Facebooks and all that. Uh, email us, contact me at the Supper Test on, on Twitter, text your friends, and join us for the next film that we've watched so you don't have to. All right, night, guys. Bye-bye. You know, I hoped that we would get through this without mentioning that. Yeah. <laughs>